Let's do all this. Right. Yeah, all right. Torn and I are back together again. Um, talking about another topic uh, that is probably not talked about enough. And I know I say that all the time, which is probably how Torn and I decide what we are going to talk about and why we have such great discussions, uh, because there are things that um, the narrative around needs to shift. And not sure if I said that in the way that I would typically say that, but it is what it is. Today, one of the big questions that families have is, what am I going to do during holiday break? Uh, my children just started going back to school, especially with the lockdown situation over the last, I don't know, a year and a half to two years uh, or the, the last two school years. Uh, and so parents are struggling with now that people are traveling, now that family is going to come over and visit again, um, what do I do to prepare my child and how do I participate or can I even participate in family um, events? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And um, I always like to hear a story from Torin and his experiences in terms of do you have any fond memories of the holidays or was it just that time of the year where you were just like, ah, oh, it's going to just be so much. Oh, I'm, I'm not the person to ask about holidays. I'm, I, I'm a total Grinch when it comes to holidays. So I kind of always sort of hated them and I still mm-hmm. hate them if I'm being honest, um, because it's a difference in schedule, especially when you're in school as a kid, mm-hmm. you used to go to school every day. Well, suddenly you have in America, it's like, God, I'm old. How, how long do we have off in America? I don't even remember being in school Typically anymore. Typically two weeks. Typically two, two, two weeks. Two weeks. I'm not that old. I'm 29, but it feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> in college, it was even worse because you get like six weeks off and it's just six weeks where you're just farting around. Yes. But um, I didn't like it very much. And my dad, who I lived with, hated it because mm-hmm. I had no friends growing up. So I was just basically me just chilling at home and we just argue with each other the whole time so mm-hmm. it, it was not a great experience and back then we didn't have a lot of coping mechanisms so yes um that's why we're here right now to help give you some coping mechanisms exactly exactly and one of the things i think is important in relation to your experience um more than likely because you just didn't have uh, maybe the words to use or the knowledge as a young kiddo Not liking the holidays, I'm quite sure, based on what my experiences are in the holidays, it's total sensory overload. I mean, there are 50,000 things in the oven. There are things that are on the stove. There are 500 conversations going on. Everything. Yes. So I think that for a lot of families, they're aware of the fact that, oh my gosh, it's going to be sensory overload, but I don't want to isolate myself, right? I don't want to not participate. I don't want grandparents to not see my children or my their aunts and uncles. And my first instinct is always to tell parents, don't bring your children where they're just going to get sensory overload, right? I get it. But at the same time, I also understand that uh, parents uh, don't necessarily have to stay home and never go out either, right? And as your children grow older and you get more, becoming more empowered, then it is easier because you have strategies that you can implement. So one of the things that I first and foremost tell parents is know your child and what your child can tolerate, but also know the people that you're going to surround yourself with at the family event. Um, advocate for your kiddo and have that conversation 
with that aunt who insists on hugs and kisses or that grandmother who wants to make everyone try whatever recipe that she's fixed. Advocate for your kiddo. Yes, I understand it is hard because family can be family. Um, It's hard to say no to family. It's hard to um, back up your parenting style when no one else understands what it's uh, what it's like to parent a child who has lots of sensory needs, communication differences, and um, other things that can come along with having that autistic diagnosis. But it is so important. And this is why I talk to families, because I want you to be empowered, because if you're empowered, you can advocate for your child. And that's important. And I think that's your responsibility as a parent. Uh, so with that said, uh, advocating um, to the relatives is important, but also, uh, and I'll just bring up the, the topic that comes up all the time is, oh, my child doesn't eat anything that they have at the family function. Exactly. So if you know that, then pack the items they do eat. Uh, The holiday event, uh, birthday parties, any large gathering is not the time to try to convince or get your child to try something new. Um, It's just not the time. There's already so much going on. So bring what your child um, eats. That way you as a parent feel less stressed about them being hungry. They know that they'll have something to eat that they expect. And when other people push back, you just have to be prepared for that and advocate for your kiddo. What are your thoughts around that? That's exactly what I was about to ask. What are some strategies parents can do if, let's say they have to bring food for their kid and their family is sort of looking at them funny or actually saying stuff about it, mainly saying stuff about it because that's what family do. They they say stuff that's sort of like passive aggressive. It's like, oh, he, he, he doesn't eat turkey? Oh, you know how you know how family is. Of course, of course. What are some strategies to help deal with that? Um, that, That's a really good question. So, in terms of yes, advocate for your kiddo, and I do think that when parents understand, then they have a little bit more confidence in responding. But the other thing is, when I work with my families, we actually come up with a response, and they practice it. And so you have like a mantra, and then every time someone says. Well, you should really make Bobby, you know, if you just made him, if you didn't give him anything, then he would eat that. Just if you brought his food, you know, all those parenting unsolicited uh, comments that you receive and you just say the same thing back to every person who tries to tell you how to parent your child. And if you go in knowing to expect that pushback, if you know your relatives, then you go prepared like anything else, you go prepared. If we go to a football game and we know it's going to get possible rain, or it's going to be cold, we bring a blanket or an umbrella. Same for when you're going to family functions, go prepared. Remember when your children are infants, you go prepared with a diaper bag because you never know what could possibly happen. Or you do because typically kids who are infants poop in their uh, diapers and sometimes we have to change clothes. So one of the strategies is have that mantra, right? Have that ready. The other part of it is if you can, get your support system in place, um, uh, you know, throughout the year, even if it's just one relative at a time to get them to understand um, what your child needs and why you're doing some of the things that you do. If you can get one person on board, typically they can maybe influence another person and then you can get, you know, folks together and everybody, maybe more people are are not giving you unsolicited advice. And there's always going to be one or two 
always that sister-in-law, that brother-in-law, um, or that grandmother um, that has something to say about what you need to do to make that child eat, because that usually is a really big stressor. And I think that just like our children, when they know what to expect, then they are not as anxious about a situation. The same with parents. You know your relatives. You know what to expect. Go in prepared. Have your mantra ready. And also have your bag of goodies, right? Which includes another thing that I think is important. Bring your sensory bag of goodies because you want your child to have a way to regulate with all of the things that are going on. The other thing in regards to sensory is I have my parents set their timers on their phones for depending on the child, they either have a 20 minute check-in, a 35 minute check-in or 45 minute check-in. And it goes off repeatedly throughout the event and they check in with their kiddo. They make sure they're okay in terms of, do I see any signs that maybe I need to bring them on the trampoline or maybe I need to bring them on a walk around the block? Do I need to do joint compression? Whatever it is that your child needs to regulate. So I have my parents set a reminder so that they remember to check in and see, or just go ahead and and provide them with sensory input, right? Whatever it is that they may need, you know, your children. Um, And with that also, when you do the check-in around the sensory regulation, also give your child time to be in a space alone if that's what they need. Because sometimes you just need to be in a little corner by yourself to get away from all of the side conversations, the smells, and all of the other cousins that are excited to see you. And it's much, it is much more pleasant to um, rationalize my child needs time alone than to have to manage a meltdown, which can easily be triggered. And then everyone's upset. The child's upset. You're upset. And then you feel like you have to leave. Glad you mentioned uh, the football game, because just like with a football game, you come prepared for certain things. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, booze. If you're ever stressed about taking your autistic child to a family's house, here's a little tip. You take a water bottle. In my case, I have a vitamin water bottle. And what you do is you fill it with Bacardi, which is clear. So it looks like you're staying hydrated. Everyone compliments you for, for, for having healthy habits. And it's just Bacardi. Maybe mix it with some Sprite, which is also clear. And that just makes everything easier. On a serious note, what I completely forgot what I was going to I love I love Torrin's sarcasm. It's just such a great um icebreaker for all the seriousness that we have to discuss. Jack Daniels in your coffee also works as well. Okay, I remember. What (laughs) happens if you're the one hosting Thanksgiving? It's a little late for Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, et cetera, et cetera. Any sort of family guy, you're the one Mm -hmm. hosting. So you're busy cooking, running around like a like like a mad person. And how do you help manage keep that from being overwhelming for your child when you're the source of the hecticness mm-hmm. of the sort of negative sensory input? Yes. Um, plan ahead, be proactive, and get your support system. And I know, I know, getting a support system a support system in place can be difficult. Um, But I do feel that if you have one or two reliable people in your life that can either come and hang out with your kiddo while you're cooking or decorating, um, that can be really helpful. The other thing is, you know, I tell parents, you know, to get that support system to help you through those times, 
you have to reach out to people like your, your community, you know, your, if you belong to a church, you know, one of the teenagers, if you are near a college, you know, find out the student therapist, like sometimes they're making extra money or working clinical hours that they can come in. You're not leaving them with your child. You're just having someone there to, um, you know, keep your kiddos sensory busy (laughs) because, you know, I'm always about regulation, but there's so many things you can do inside and outside to regulate your kiddo. It doesn't have to be academic driven or therapy driven. Um, But the other part is in terms of when everyone gets to your house, one of the strategies that I share with my families is our kiddos, like all kiddos, most kids don't like to share. Sharing is not a human like instinct if we want to give all of our stuff to every people, you know, to other people. It's something we're taught to do, right? We're taught to say thank you. We're taught to share your toys. We're taught to share our food. Whether we're taught directly or someone your parents just model, um, we're just taught that. So I what I love about uh my autistic kiddos is that they're just very honest about the fact that I don't want to share right? It's not an autism thing. It's just, they're just very blunt, honest about communicating, whether they're communicating by taking all of their toys away from everyone or pulling them out of someone's hand or going into meltdown mode or pushing. They're communicating. I don't want to share. Most children feel the same way. They just don't do it because they are sort of, uh, what's the word? Um, their instinct to just be honest or do they just follow what they've been taught And I love that our kids are just honest about their feelings. So my advice to parents is have a separate bin that you, and this is even for when you just have folks that come over with their other children, always have a separate bin of toys that you keep in a closet. That's only brought out when other children are at the house. That way, those toys, you can even put a visual that says toys to play and share or, you know, them with other kids. It doesn't really matter. But have their toys that they play with on a regular basis in their room. So if they need time alone, but when kids come over, that is the bit that you bring the share bin out. So the share bin is already the rule set around the share bin is these are the toys that I share with other people. These are the toys that only come out when other people, they won't mess up my train. They won't mess up my cars. They won't mess up my dolls or my little stuffed animals or whatever it is that your child has that they don't want someone else to mess up which is typically why kids don't like to share. What if they suddenly are interested, sorry to cut you off, but Mm -hmm. what if they're suddenly interested in the share bin? Because that was me when I was a child. I would Mm -hmm. have toys and as soon as someone showed interest in another toy, Mm -hmm. I would suddenly be interested in that toy because someone else is interested in it. Exactly. Well, the idea of the share bin is you, you, you want your child to engage with their cousins, right? You want them, even if they just do parallel play, the kids are all in one area hanging out and everybody gets joy from watching the children play together. Uh, So you have already set the rule that the share bin is exactly for that. You can play with it. They can play with it. It's got lots of different things, but your, your, I don't want to use the word special interest your items that you treasure as an autistic kiddo are not going to be open to the public. And that within itself is going to decrease that sort of like frustration of, I'm not really sure what to expect because the bottom line is a lot of the reasons our kids don't want to share their toys is because they're not sure if the other person knows the rule around how to play with it. And it can be something simple like blocks. For some autistic individuals, uh, playing with blocks means color coding and categorizing and stacking them 
in a straight line. For most kids, randomly just stacking them, right? So for, for our kiddos, they're looking at that through a lens of they don't know how to play with the blocks correctly. Therefore, I don't trust them to play with my blocks because they don't know how to do it correctly. And I learned that from the book, um, Look Me in the Eye. That's one of my favorite stories uh, that he talks about in terms of trying to make friends in kindergarten. And um, that's, that's, that's so a that's, good book. I read that in high school when it came out. Yeah. It's a really good book. So that's one of the things that I recommend, but also having boundaries um, for the other children around what you don't want them to have access to. Uh, You know, I think that as a parent, if it's, if children are coming to your home, if people are coming to your home, you have a right to set boundaries around what the rules are. You don't have to allow other people's children to come in and do whatever they want to do just because it's your niece or your nephew or whomever, Um, you know, sort of have those boundaries because the reality of it is in order for you to have a successful holiday, you have to plan, be proactive and have things in place so that your child is set up for success to be able to manage through the sensory overload of the holiday, because it really is just a lot. I mean, it's, it's a lot for a lot of people, even that are not autistic, right? Just going to large family events can be very overwhelming for several reasons. Uh, but for our kiddos, it's just really tough because it's loud and lots of people are talking. And one thing I would add is if you're the host of the celebration, when you're setting up and preparing in the days or morning of try to monitor your own stress levels because if you're stressed out, you're going to tend to be a bit more short with your child, yell at them a bit more, just not be as patient. And then your child will mimic that franticness and is more likely to become overwhelmed as a result. Yes, 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 yes. Um, One of the things that I want to just sort of put out there, because I don't want to end on this serious note, uh, but It is very important, very important for parents to make sure that someone is tagged, assigned, whatever word you want to use to keep an eye on your child. Often parents will drink a little Jack Daniels for celebration, have a couple of glasses of wine. The children are playing. They give their, you know, child Uh, the iPad and just say, oh, he'll be fine. He'll play on that for hours. We don't have to worry about him. Our children sometimes surprise us. And we have lost several children who get out during the holidays because everyone assumes they are just on their iPad and no one is responsible for watching their child. So tag, right? Have someone to make sure they keep an eye on your kid or at least check in to see that they can have a view of them. And I say this because I have heard too many stories where holidays have happened and children have gotten into the lake or the pool or wandered. And it doesn't always turn out um, for the positive because our kids will leave something that's sensory overload. And we can't just assume that they will just stay on the iPad for hours. Right. We just, so I just want to put that out there. Um, And I always say, I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to scare you because it's very important to make sure that your children are safe. That's the, the, I I never thought of that. That's actually a really good point. Another question I want to ask, which is related to this is what happens if the shit does hit the fan? So God forbid there's a meltdown or something along those veins. 
in front of everybody, which I'm sure a lot of parents, it's sort of like, I wouldn't say the worst nightmare, but it's definitely a legit concern for a lot of parents. How do you handle that then in terms of not only handling the child who's now having a meltdown, but also the people around them, the family, mm-hmm. the friends, yada, 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 the other kids? How, how do you deal with that? Exactly. Um, so one of the things that I'll, I will say the proactive strategy, and then I'll say the reactive strategy, the proactive strategy is you need to know your child's limits. You need to know how much they can handle. Now, if it's a struggle for you to find opportunities to give them the sensory input they need or time away that they need, then you need to have a time that you and your partner, or if it's just you alone, have decided we're staying until five and then we're leaving because that will be as much as they can handle, right? You need to be able to know that in order to have, it's better to have a successful two hours of socializing with family and friends than, you know, two and a half hours and then have a meltdown. And then nobody remembers the pleasant two and a half hours because now everybody just remembers the meltdown, right? Like it's just not. And yes, I totally understand that, oh, I have to leave, I have to miss out, you know, you can do the whole woe is me, and and you can feel sorry for yourself if that's what you want to do. But the bottom line is, when we are parents, we have to do things that are in the best interest of our children. So you have to sometimes compromise. And if your compromise is, I can go to the event for two hours or three hours, and then we need to leave by this time, because my child needs to get their melatonin so they can get on their sleep schedule, whatever the reasons are, that is very important and it will lead to you having more successful events um, with your family. So know your kiddo, know when you need to leave, stick to it um, as much routine, especially around sleep time, because that is so hard to get established. And once you get it established, you don't want to break that um, because of a family event. The other, um, or should I say the reactive strategy is, and, and I know this is tough for families, you have to find a way you have to work on yourself. And I know it takes time to be able to not feel overly self-conscious about a meltdown. And I'm not saying it's easy, but you have to do that because if not, you're not able to be the calm that your child needs. So one of the responses that you can do reactively is know your family, but also know your household you're going into know the environment, know where can I go to bring my child? Where can I go if I have to scoop up my three or four-year-old if they're in the middle of a meltdown and just give them a space to let it work itself out? Because once a meltdown starts, it's got to run its course, but you want to keep everyone safe. Um, The other thing is if you have a relative, um, this is kind of a proactive and a reactive. If you have a relative that you know that you can rely on and trust, whether it's your partner or um, one of the other relatives, uh, you know, a sibling that, you know, will be able to work with you, then have a plan, you know, just in case there's a meltdown, I will need you to do this and I'll do this and we'll work together. So go in with that plan. Again, that's all about planning and trying to um, figure out what could possibly happen and figure out what you can do to avoid anything occurring so that you can have a really good experience. But the other thing is, you have to be able to tell the adults in the room, I have it, I have this, I've got this, please just give me a minute or step aside. You have to be able to do that because if you allow everyone to come in, try to tell you what to do or take your child and try to restrain them, that just escalates the situation. If you can't do it, get someone else that you get, like, like I said, 
get a relative, a friend who's with you or a partner, an older sibling, it doesn't matter. Someone to advocate for you to say, let her handle it. She's got this. The other children, unpredictable, right? We never know what other kids are going to do. Um, so the best route, if you can scoop your kiddo and, you know, get them to a room where the other children can't sort of like have that reaction that can sometimes just escalate the situation as well. Um, but you know, the key Torin and the key is you have to plan like you, I, I understand sometimes parents feel you know, oh my gosh, I feel like autism is dictating my life. Well, it's not really autism that's dictating your life. It's parenting that's dictating your life. When we have children, we have to bring diaper bags. We have to plan. We have to pack food. We have to make sure we have a sitter. We can't just leave our kids at home um, because we have to run to the store. So parenting within itself is an inconvenience, right? Speaking from a parent, and I love parenting, but it can be an inconvenience at times. And whether you have a child with a medical condition that requires um, uh, things that you have to do during the day, or you have a child that has ambulatory issues um, or challenges, and I want to say issues, I apologize for that, but you want to make sure that you are doing what you need for your child because that is your priority. And guess what? If you're proactive, if you plan, you do get to have a good time. You really do get to enjoy the day and you don't lose out on the event. Um, but it takes a little bit of time and some planning and some proactiveness for sure. One of the things I'd like to add to that, uh, a couple things, would be the first thing, I don't mean to sound like a D-bag, but I'm trying to think of a nice way, a politically correct way to phrase it that I can't think of one. You're gonna have to be sort of, you're gonna have to have intestinal fortitude as a parent, because you're gonna have to understand that you can't come in or roast like everything will be fine. It will be the way I've always imagined. There is a possibility that shit could hit the fan. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it won't. If you plan well, it won't. But you have to go in a little bit of that dark place and accept the fact there's a possibility shit could hit the fan and be ready for that and not just melt down yourself when things don't go as planned. One of the things that being autistic teaches us adults is as much as we need planning, there's stuff out of our control and we need to have an ability to sort of be flexible and compromise our rigidity on certain things, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable, because that's life. And as a parent of an autistic person, you have to be the same way, sort of a hope for the best, expect the worst sort of thing. In situations where the chance of things going sideways is kind of high, like large gatherings where you have a lot of negative sensory input, a lot of socializing, a lot of families who don't quite understand the rigors of being an autistic parent. You have to be able to accept that your plan might not go the way you want. You need to have a plan, but you have to be able to accept it and have contingencies for certain things breaking down. Because I will go further than Stacy and say, Things probably will break down at some point. If it's a large enough gathering, something will not go. The house will be too warm because of the oven or too cold. It'll be too loud in there because everyone's blaring Christmas music. Uh, some of the cousins are just going to be annoying. You're going to have, you're almost guaranteed to have that one relative 
who was just like, why don't you just beat the shit out of that kid? That's what our parents did with us. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to have that one judgmental relative. I don't mean to scare people, but there are going to be challenges, and you have to mentally be ready for that challenge and be realistic. Because if you're not realistic about the fact that things will probably be good, but they could go wrong, if they do go wrong, you're not going to be able to handle it well because mentally you weren't prepared for it. Exactly. And I think that's a really good point. If we, if we anticipate, just like we bring a diaper bag that, you know, they may have to get a change of clothes, they may, you know, have, then you're they not may have explosive diarrhea. Shit could happen. Exactly. Exactly. No pun you intended. Won't, <laughs> you won't, you won't be as overwhelmed and anxious because you kind of said, oh, this could possibly have happened. And, and I think that, I think that one of the things that I want to bring everyone to is you made a really good point in terms of as an autistic adult, you have to understand that sometimes you don't have control and you have to be prepared to sort of suck it up in some situations. That is as an adult, I want everyone to remember our children are still children. They are not expected to be as adults. They're not expected to react as adults and putting them in a sensory situation that can be overwhelming and expecting them to just get used to it and get over it is really traumatic. And it's really not so nice either um, from my perspective, but I just wanted everyone to, to know that your point is very correct. However, that's an adult skill. It's not a child skill. And it's important that we, as the adults, make sure that we support their needs so that they cannot have to be in a situation. Hopefully that will be come too overwhelming. But yes, be prepared for it if it does. All right. So I just wanted to put that out there that please remember our children are still children learning and growing neurologically. (laughs) And I want to clarify, I didn't mean the kid has to suck it up. In fact, I didn't mean adults suck it up. It doesn't mean if something goes wrong, you're just like, well, fuck it. I guess I just got to deal with it. That's not what I meant. What I meant is, let's say your kid has ear defenders to deal with a loud noise. You're like, okay, it's yes. going to be loud Christmas music. Let's give them ear defenders. Well, the house is also 90 degrees because the person you're going to has been baking for the last 48 hours straight. So now he's hot, which is also messing him up sensory. Well, he has to take the ear defenders off because that's what's making him hot. But you can't take the ear defenders off because of mm-hmm. loud music. You need to have a backup plan for that. Mm-hmm. And you need to develop a skill because you can't plan everything. You need to, you're going to need to, as parents, develop a skill where very quickly you can come up with contingency plans pretty yes. much on the spot. That's going to be, I don't mean to scare people, but that's going to be a skill you're going to need to learn. Just like autistic people have to learn that skill. And different between autistic people who are able to function as independent adults and a lot of the ones who struggle with that, one of the big differences, if you get down to it, is, is the autistic adults have the ability to come contingency plans on the spot. They've learned that or been taught that ability. The last thing I want to ask you before we get going, because we're running up against time, Stacey, is let's say you have an older autistic individual, so a teenager, young adult, Mm-hmm. or someone in their young 20s and the parents the, the other parents and the other guests sort of expect them to engage like adults would but they struggle a bit socially so common thing with autistic adults is they'll be on the ipad or their phone when mm-hmm. everybody else is gathered for prayer or dinner or something like that and that sort of can get used to parents some snide remarks because they're like well what sort of kid are you raising here the kid's 16, he doesn't know how to socialize with adults. Like, what's happening? 
how do you deal with that? Do you force the kid to socialize more or do you, or do you that or do you take it to the people who are criticizing you? What do you do with that for, for the audience sake? No. And, you know, that's a really good point. And unfortunately, I have to go back to. And this is why we're doing this podcast. We have to shift the narrative and stop expecting autistic individuals to communicate, socialize like a neurotypical, right? And we have to shift the narrative so that it's not a bad thing if someone does not want to engage in conversation. And I can use myself as an example. I could talk forever, right? I'm a extroverted communicator and I talk to strangers, anyone. I talk to people who probably have don't even want to hear anything I have to say, just strangers in the store. But there are some people that don't want to do that. There are lots of people, autistic or not, but specifically if your child struggles with communication, and I'm not saying struggles with just because they are a verbal communicator, that doesn't mean that it's still not hard work. That doesn't mean that listening and processing other people's conversations, that it's not difficult for them to have a conversation with an uncle or another cousin. And I also firmly believe that everyone has a right to enjoy a social occasion in any way they please, whether you are autistic or not. If you like to sit in the corner and not dance, don't dance. If you like to sit in the corner and just watch everybody talk, that's what you can do. If you want to get in the mix and be in the limelight, then that's what you can do. I think that the expectations we have all decided, either as a society or a community or a family, you know, that is, that's the part I think that just makes it's difficult for autistic individuals to navigate um, the environment is because we have all of these demands on what we expect, what they should do. And the reality of it is every person is an individual. And so I believe that children have the right and the autonomy to choose who they want to talk to and who they want to play with. And I also think that parents need to remember It's not a reflection of your parenting if your child is an introvert or your child does not want to engage the whole time. It's not a reflection that you're a bad parent. It's actually a good thing if you advocate for your child and allow them to just be who they are, which is why we're having this conversation um, about shifting the narrative, which brings me to my, my final point in terms of being proactive and preparing. Please make sure you bring your child's method of communication, if that includes visual supports or an AAC device. Please make sure that everyone understands the way your child communicates most effectively. Please make sure that everyone understands if you're working on reinforcing um, communication that they're not given cookies for free, right? If you're working on and they can make a request, tell grandma and grandpa, he can do it like he can do it either with his device or with pictures or their words or however that they sign language, whatever they're using. The other part of that is I think it is extremely important for families to educate the adults sometimes don't really like to hear new information. It's hard for adults to to, to get outside of themselves. So sometimes it's easier. Bring a book. There's tons of books on Amazon that are about autism that are for children. Read that book to the to the cousins. Children are so open to understanding differences when someone just explains it to them. It's the adults that put the opinions on the children to think it's something horrible, right? And it's okay to be different as well. There's nothing wrong with being different. Um, 
I understand the majority of people like to conform and blend in, but if you have an autistic child, you have to shift your narrative around how you talk about your child and um, how you embrace your child is how everyone else will embrace your child. I firmly believe that. And I see that. And I have parents that tell me once they've shifted how they respond or talk about their child, everyone else does as well. They will follow. So that is my bring those visual supports as well. If you use visual schedules, bring those with you. I have tons of videos that I do all the time on portable visuals um, to make bring, sure that bring everything child... that you that that's what that's part of planning. Bring everything that you might need. So a sensory bag, yep. visuals, method of communication, if they use like an AAC or pictures, snacks, anything that, you're, that you know your child might need, you need mm-hmm. to bring that, even if it takes a little bit of extra work. Yes. And the last thing I'll say about older autistic individuals is make sure you're teaching your child to advocate for themselves, especially mm-hmm. if they're teenagers or older, they need to be able to advocate for themselves if they don't want to talk to that person, if they don't want to eat that particular food. If they're feeling, teach them about themselves, to teach them to read their own sensory signals, signals and teach them to sort of walk away from things they know take, take too many spoons because that's a skill they're going to need when they are older. Once, not to sound macabre, but once you're not around anymore, you're not going to be around forever to advocate for them. They have to be able to advocate for themselves too. And that mm-hmm. should start as young as possible. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Torin, do I have just 60 seconds? I just need to share this story to reinforce. We set our own times. You have as much time right. as you want. All right. So I just have to share this story because you reminded me in terms of older. Uh, when I lived in Texas, I had a wonderful neighbor and her grandson, who was an adult finishing college, um, Unyet diagnosed Asperger's slash autism. Um, he, you know, we knew him to be sort of like an introvert, right? Not really big on socializing. Typically when we had neighborhood events, he would come, get a plate, and then poof, disappear after he ate, right? Oh, that's, that's just my that's my is. friend. My friend's yeah. like that, just disappeared. Yeah. He yeah. lives in the basement. So it would just like just disappear and be in the basement. Exactly. And we knew and we accepted that, and that's just who he was. However, She had a birthday, I mean, I'm sorry, a graduation celebration party for him. And during the party, I kept asking her, where is he? Where is he? We're all here to celebrate with gifts. Where is he? And she said, well, you know how he is. And I let it go. But then later, um, probably in the week, my neighbor that I love dearly, and we had a really good relationship. I went to her and I said, you know, I totally understand where he's coming from. You know, I really get it. I get it. However, I do think that it was very important that you should have told him before the party, at some point, you need to come down and say hello to your guest. You don't have to stay. You don't have to do anything, but you need to at least say hello to your guests. Maybe a thank you would be nice because I think that's part of him going into the adult world as a work. He was going to work and that's an important skill to be able to at least do what you can do and acknowledge people who have come for you. And, and she thought about it. And, and I said, you know, I totally get where he's coming from. So because you had the party where he got lots and lots of things 
which was great for him. The least that you could have done was to have him and let him know whenever you're ready, at some point, you need to come down and at least say hello. I thought that that was um, disrespectful of him not to come and say hello to everyone who had come to celebrate. And um, so that goes into what you're saying in terms of you advocate for yourself, but you also have to respect the other people that are in the room. That, that, that's an excellent point. I actually had a similar situation happen to me last Christmas. They, my aunt invited, every, we were at my aunt's house. She invited everybody over. It was a bit heck for me. So I told my aunt, I'm going upstairs to the attic, which is sort of my office. That's where, I'm, that's where I am right now. That's why I do my writing mm-hmm. because the apartment I live in is in the projects and it's loud and all that stuff. Anyway, I went up to the attic was doing some writing and I told her, let me, I text, I told her before I went up, let me know when everybody's ready to eat. I'll come down, eat with you guys. Cool. Four hours, nothing. After about four hours, I'm like, it does not take this long to make food. So I go down, <laughs> everybody's gone. And my aunt's mad. It's like, why didn't you come down? And I'm like, I was waiting for you to text me to tell me to come down. She's like, yes. man, I was really rude. I was like, you were supposed to text me. Oh, no. I was yes. waiting for you. Now I look like a dick. So now I yeah. have to call like 15 people on the phone, which being on the phone for a lot of autistic people is not fun, and apologize mm-hmm. to them personally for not being there. So yeah. make sure you have that communication where you are reminding the kid to come down. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, I love that you, on their own terms, right, in terms of knowing when they're ready to go. That's why, you know, I was like, he could have come down at any time, right? Doesn't really matter to me, at least to say hello. So with that said, I'm hoping that everyone got some little tips. Um, but more so, I also hope that everyone starts to think about shifting the narrative. I know relatives can be the most difficult to shift the narrative around. Uh, but like I said, find one. Start with the children. I am telling you, get a book on Amazon, order that book, read it to all the kiddos when you get to the family event. The other children will be your best support system. They really do. Um, They're just so much flexible when they just understand why Bobby has only one arm. And I'm using that as an extreme because that was a scenario that a lot of kids would say about a student we had who only had one arm because he was born with one arm. And once you tell them why he only has one arm, they move on with their lives. They really don't care. But their curiosity of, you know, why is Bobby, you know, spinning? Well, he's stimming. He stims because there's books about this, simple books for children. My last word of advice in terms of, uh, Torin reminding everyone, you know, pack things, bring everything, but the kitchen sink, as my grandma used to say, please make sure all of the technology is charged. Please make sure you have backup chargers. Don't rely on the host have chargers. Yeah. If nothing else, make sure your technology is ready and charged and have backup chargers because this is the time you may have to allow your kiddo to have headphones and more technology time than you typically do in their routine because that may be the way that you get through the Christmas dinner. I mean, we see it all the time at restaurants, you know, all kids, kids, children don't enjoy going out to dinner. That's an adult activity. I don't enjoy going out to dinner. Kids definitely don't. I love going out to dinner. And if you have older individuals like teenagers, who have their own cell phones and stuff, make sure they charge their stuff because autistic and ADHD individuals in particular, we always forget to charge our phones. 
I don't because I'm like OCD about it, but pretty much all of my autistic friends forget to charge their phones. Make sure their stuff is charged, their headphones charged, their phones charged, their iPads, whatever, whatever electronics that need to be charged. Make sure they're at 100% before you leave the house. Make sure you have chargers for all those devices, devices in your bag, taking to wherever you're going. Yes, because family events are not the time to teach your autistic child a lesson in life. Yeah, exactly. It's not the time to test and, and push the buttons, right? Because we all want to have a good time. Exactly. You need all to right. learn this lesson. This lesson is the fact that I am, as a parent, I am unreliable. So you're <laughs> going to have, like, that's not the lesson you want to teach your kid. No, we don't. And we don't, you know, I'm thinking in terms of teenagers, we don't want to say, well, I told you to charge your phone. Okay, just this oh, time, you know, yeah, get it charged. So we will um, get together again and chat about another topic. Uh, but I, I'm really, really excited uh, about this podcast and shifting the narrative. I'm so happy that those of you who are listening joined us. And, um, you know, Torin and I are real. We are unscripted. We are speaking from experiences. We're speaking from the heart. We're speaking with the purpose of shifting the narrative so that autistic individuals can navigate this world and have support systems in place, but also so that you folks (laughs) who are are, um, neurotypicals, I guess, um, if we go back and forth, uh, can just get a really better understanding of what you can do to make our communities um, sensory safe, but also socially safe and um, communication accepting, um, because that's important so that we can all live together and work together and support one another. And the last thing I just want to say is Vodka and gin are also very good alternatives to Bacardi in the water bottle. They're both clear <laughs> liquors. So you don't have to just use Bacardi. Just any sort of clear liquor. If you want to make an impression, that it looks like you're being healthy. And you also don't want to have to actually deal with what's going on around you. It, it, it's gotten me through many of holidays. Since I turned 21, it's gotten me through a lot. So, you know, I will say, hit, Tori, me, up, I hit think me up for more tips. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's why. There's always wine and, and sangria or whatever it is that is flowing at family events. Because I think in general, most folks uh, drink to tolerate family members. Not yeah, everyone. Definitely. Some folks have a really good. But yeah, let, everyone let's just get out a, of here. Let's just, let's just every, go. We're, we're done. Everyone Shut it down. wonderful, safe holiday. And we wish everyone a wonderful family experience. Even if you just hang out at your house and have a quiet. I know some people are just tired of having quiet holidays after two Christmases with the pandemic. So hopefully this Christmas, you can do some things that you traditionally do and we'll be back. Bye everyone.